listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Former NFL defensive lineman Jay Bromley, who joins us here on The Drive on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Jay. What's going on, Larry? Thank How you are you, me. my friend? I'm doing well. Jay, how did we get here to this Super Bowl? If I had said to you that Patrick Mahomes would have a second half the way he did that reverted back to, gosh, a couple of maybe the first three or four games of the regular season in that scenario, I mean, I couldn't believe what I was watching, Jay. No, that definitely was night and day first half, the second half, almost, you know, unbelievable to see, you know, that much of a change, that much of a lack of offense, a lack of targets toward, you know, Hill in the second half and just overall kind of collapse. You kind of got to rewatch it to see what did they exactly do. Was it as simple as them dropping eight in coverage, really making Mahomes have to try to extend plays to allow people to get open where you – Take away, take away Tyreek Hill, and you bracket uh, Kelsey, and then eventually, because you know you can't escape forever, then the three kind of get a rush on him. I think, um, I think that's part of it, definitely. Obviously, because that was part of the game plan. But I think ultimately they got away from what they did well in the first half. I think Tony Romo did an excellent job of explaining the fact that. People started to take away their deep shots. Tyreek Hill's not running a go ball and catching touchdowns. So what they figured out was they can dunk down the field and pretty much run defenders off of Tyreek Hill, let him run sideline to sideline, where if he catches it, it's just like a go ball because no one can keep up with him. Um, and then they ran the ball excellently in the first half with McKinnon and uh, you know Edward Edward Hilaire. So they got away from that in the second half because that running game opened up everything else for the play action. It, it made those linebackers take an extra step and the safeties come downhill a little bit more so you can catch them, you know, in, uh, in the coverage. You know, Jay, uh, a lot has been made, and we'll talk about Cincinnati and the great job they did in the second half, but a lot has been made uh, after that game about Kansas City not being able to put points on the board at the end of the first half. As a player former player in the National Football League. Take me through that momentum. How does that affect you offensively? And what does that do defensively? What did that do defensively for the Bengals? Defensively, it's a goal line stop, and it brings team morale. It, it kind of just helps them. They understood they were in a poor position, um, and they and they, they, they at most they wanted to you know create a four-point play, meaning when you're in the red zone, and you stop someone on third down, that's called a four-point play. Why? Because you didn't give up a touchdown when they're most likely going to get the three. And for them to go for it on fourth down, when they already had the ball coming back to them in, at the beginning of the second half, didn't really make much sense. It's like, take the three points, you come out, you score a touchdown, now you're up an additional 10. That's a coaching decision that's kind of, you know, scratch your head. And offensively, what does that do when you don't make that play? When you don't make that play, you realize that whatever play was called on that fourth down, it had to be a play that they felt very confident about was a touchdown, which honestly didn't work. You had Tyreek Hill, you, you put him in the flat, and you you know with, with not much room to go as far as the red zone, and he cannot run everybody with not that much room. So I think um, you know you kind of throw it away offensively, and you realize that that play didn't work, but um, it definitely doesn't help your morale coming in the second half. 
Let's talk about Cincinnati and give them some credit. I mean, Joe Burrow continues to show that he's growing right before our eyes, and he's got him and Jamar Chase is, is a nice little combination. Oh, definitely. Uh, the, you know, Joe Burrow has an it factor that no one can deny. The guy is swaggy. The guy has obviously a phenomenal arm. The guy's a leader of men, and he has a, he has a good group of talent around him. He has 2,000-yard receivers. He has a 1,000-yard running back. Um, the weakest part of that 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 um, team is the offensive line. He he won a game when he was sacked nine times. That's usually the blueprint to beating quarterbacks, especially good ones. So he's definitely showcasing his his top tier ability. All right, let's talk about the other game, and we'll come back obviously to Cincinnati as we talk about the Super Bowl. But let's talk about the other game with San Francisco and L.A. And you know, uh, <laughs> there's an old saying, and you, I know you've heard this, Jay, that when corners when corners drop passes, drop interceptions, people always say, yeah, well, if he had hands, he'd have been the wide receiver. That play where the corner dropped the, a sure pick totally turns that game around. I think we're talking Frisco-Cincinnati in the Super Bowl, and maybe, you know, maybe Jimmy G is not saying goodbye to Frisco right now. Maybe, right? Maybe. <laughs> well, at least not this early. Um, if, you, if I'm not mistaken, I, you might be talking about the Jaquiski Tart interception. Yes. Um, where it went right to him. And, um, yeah, so, like you said, the whole phrase, if you had better hands to be a wide receiver, obviously that's a momentum changer. Does it guarantee them points? No. But it definitely puts them in the field to, to score some kind of points or at least uh, shift the, the, the field a little bit. So, it's man – it's easily the game that close can easily go either way, and obviously that game literally came down to the last drive, and it made Jimmy have to figure out and, and be more than what he's been. And when it came down to it, he couldn't. So that's what played out. How, you know what? It, it, it's just so crazy, uh, Jane. We're talking to Jay Bromley here on the drive on ninety-eight seven ESPN. Jay, it's really sad because I think Jimmy G is a talented quarterback, but. You constantly see game after game in big spots where, you know, the coach just takes the ball out of his hands, puts it in the running back, or, or let's try to run the ball, let's try to win in spite of Jimmy G instead of let's have him help us along. Understanding that you don't – we get that he can't take on the shoulder. He's not going to win the game for you at this point. But still, it seems like he could be more involved in key situations, and he just isn't. And you sit back and you wait for a key turnover or a key interception or an overthrow or a bad decision, and unfortunately, he never disappoints. <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but, you know, you got to give Jimmy his credit. He's a winner. It's kind of like a 10 ball effect. Like, you know, he might not do it pretty all the time, but he's a winner, and, and it showcases everywhere he goes. Um, he made some phenomenal throws that game. Um, he, he put on the money that game for the most part, but he didn't. He, he's not necessarily clutch in that aspect where, you know, if he wins the coin toss, you know, the game's over, in your opinion. So I think that factor is something that, you know, goes with Jimmy G. And like you said, the coaches have seen him, they know him, and they, they understand him better than anybody. So for them not to put the ball in his hands in those key situations, if they didn't have to, they, they're going to get it to Debo Samuel, who's been a phenomenal talent for them all year, right? Or get it to the running back or, or, or get it to Kittle, right? So they, they're doing the right thing based on the quarterback that's not necessarily a quote-unquote franchise quarterback. Jay, what has 
Odell Beckham Jr. meant to the Rams since he's been there? Odell has been a spark of life for the Rams. Odell has, you know, kind of turned a new stone of, of what people thought about him when he was in um, Cleveland and thinking about him being washed up or, or not being as, as good as he used to be with the Giants. I'm fortunate. I play with Odell. I know the talent that he is. I know the work ethic that he has. I know uh, just what he brings to a locker room as far as just like a teammate. All right, people always used to talk down about Odell. Odell's a phenomenal teammate. Like, you, you don't really find too many guys like him. And and um, the opportunity he had with the Rams, is it kind of was heaven sent for them because literally as soon as he gets there, Robert Woods, like, goes down. <laughs> so that, that inter- divine individual right there is amazing. But he's showcasing his ability to be a number one receiver. He's a number one receiver on any other team but he gets to be a number two receiver on their team and then take advantage of the number two cornerback. All right, Jay Bromley, let's break this uh, Super Bowl down. Give me, let's break down the battle at the quarterbacks, Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow. Who do you give the edge to? I'm giving it to Broadway Joe, man. It's like Joe, his impact is, is just that. I think Matthew Stafford is, a, you know, he's a phenomenal quarterback. He's kind of he's kind of stringy. You know, he, he can give you a stretch where he can give you a 400-yard passing game. He also can give you a 300-yard passing game with two, three interceptions. So he's, he's kind of one of those guys that he's gunslinger mentality. Joe Burrow, I just think his it factor gives him the edge. It's crazy because when I hear uh, some other – I hear our, our analysts, like Chris Canty and Bart Scott, I'm hearing defensive guys, and you're right along with them. Even though Stafford has the experience, it's just – I mean, Chris Canty said, I trust – Joe Burrow more than I do Matthew Stafford did that. That's an amazing situation. He, this young man has really made a, a, a an impact in what you've seen from him, especially from a defensive of all the, the defensive guys that I've spoken with. In a good, in a great quote of a great movie, attitude reflects, you know, reflects mm. leadership. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So his attitude, his approach is reflected by the people around him. And it's contagious. And that's the guy you want to draft one more and overall. That's the guy you want to lose your team. Why? Because he's influencing everything around him. It's like the Tom Brady effect. You know, it's like, man, how can you get all the, you know, the, a leader needs to have people that follow them. Guys have to buy in because they believe. You know, he makes you believe in yourself when you don't even believe in yourself. And that's what Joe Ball brings to the table, in, in, especially former players. You see it. And you're like, bro, I would love to play with that guy. Wow. All right, let's go. Let's go. Uh, secondary and receivers. Give me who has the edge. Is it Cooper Cup and company, or is it Jamar Chase and company? I think definitely um, the LA Rams have the edge as far as you know receivers versus DBs, in my opinion, um, because of you know the explosiveness, the way they use Cup and Odell and Jefferson. Like I said, Odell's the number one playing against usually the second corner or third corner and he can go in the slot and then they mix it up. Cooper Cup is always open. I don't it doesn't even matter who he's going against. Um and I don't think the uh the the, the secondary of the Bengals has, you know, one on one matchups that can really uh stifle that. Um on the other side of the ball if you're talking about the receivers of the Bengals versus uh, you know, LA secondary, I don't think LA has an overall secondary that can really stifle um, the Bengals, but I think Jalen Ramsey, being who he is, is an integral part. I think the the interesting part about Jalen Ramsey is, I think when they play him in that star position where they kind of put him all over the field, 
I think it's beneficial to them at times, but sometimes it takes away that Rebus Island, that Richard Sherman effect, mm. meaning you can't throw to this side of the field. Those guys were prominent because you couldn't throw to a particular place or a particular person. But when you move them around a lot, once you find them, you can go away from them. Hmm. It's interesting. Uh, who do you think wins, Jay? I think the Rams win. I think I think the deep I think the defensive line dominates the um the the Bengals offensive line. I think them, you know, being the weak link of that team and that being a strength of LA is something that's gonna play itself out. I don't think Aaron Donald and Von Miller and the crew walk away from this one not, you know, really letting Joe Burrow know, you know, how they feel. IJ, a couple more before we let you go. Just give me your thoughts overall on the Pro Bowl. This was a decent game today, close score at the end. Uh, but what, how, how do players in the NFL look at the Pro Bowl? I, I know guys don't look at it as something that's necessarily competitive, something that they're actually going to uh, try to work hard in and actually compete in. You can tell by just the way they go about it. They kind of, you know, they, they, they're fortunate. They're some of the best players in the league at their position, and they, I think they go about it in a way where they don't want to get hurt, and then they, they, they do it for the fans, you know, for the most part. So, I think that's how guys look at it, and they don't want to get hurt in a game that's, you know, obviously doesn't matter. Jay, before I let you go, I have to get your thoughts as as a former player with what's going on in the NFL with the Rooney Rule and the things that have been happening overall. When players in locker rooms, Jay, how do players look at overall the fact of of the lack of representation of African-American head coaches and the fact that we have to have a rule in place to try to even the playing field. And we now have just Mike Tomlin as the only African-American head coach. How, how do players discuss it? What, what, what do players view? Do they care about it? What, what are your thoughts as, you know, just overall as a former player? I think in the moment, players don't, you know, obviously if you're young, you're getting, you're getting on a team, you're starting your career, you're not focusing on that, right? You're not even realizing that. You're just trying to make a team make an impact, right, grow as, a, as an individual. But the more you kind of zoom out, you, you look at the, dis, the disparity in, the, in all the, the different groups. Like if the league is 70% minority, and then that's not reflected in the people that you work with, right? That's not reflected in your head coach. Therefore, you, how can you really relate, right? How do you really understand where you come from? All these different aspects of relationship that aren't necessarily reflected, or sometimes are, right? But – it's always that, like you said, the fact that, you know, 13% of America is, you know, African-American, but that's not reflected in the, the 32 teams. So, and then, and then more so, if, if we take a zoom out even further, it's more so about the lack of opportunity, but also the, the, the fact that they don't have, the lease is so much shorter for African-American coach. Brian Flores getting fired this year was, you know, didn't make any sense because he did something that no coach has ever done in the second half of that season. Um, the Rooney rule in and of itself, from my knowledge, is, is like, like it played itself out exactly how that text message situation went with Brian Flores and Bill Belichick. The fact that they already knew who they wanted, but they had to interview a guy just to check the box. So, it, but then I also understand the, the part of the owners. If I own an establishment, how can you dictate who I hire, Right. You mm-hmm. can't dictate who I hire. I hire who I'm comfortable with. I hire who I might have a relationship with. I hire exactly. So 
it, that's a great area in business of trying to dictate how someone runs their establishment. Um, but we all know race plays a, a very, you know, in, integral part of our community and our, and especially in America, the very, you know, racial background and history of America plays a very big part in how we treat each other and the, in the um, competency of how we look at work environments and all that. So, it's difficult to understand as a player, because, but you're, because you're always trying to look. You're working for the owner, right? He's signing your checks, man. You want him to keep signing your checks as long as he can, right? Does it matter to you if it's a black man or white man? No, but it would be nice, no different than seeing a black teacher, a black police officer, to make you feel a little bit more comfortable. Like, hey, man, I can do that too. Jay, how scary was it to hear Brian Flores say that? His owner, his former owner, wanted him, was paying, offered to pay him to really lose games intentionally from a player standpoint. And we always talk about it because, you know, fans are like, okay, my team is losing and, you know, we, we want to get draft choices. We want to get the number one pick. We want to get the quarterback. Why don't you throw games? And we always, as, as announcers, we always tell fans, play, NFL players don't look at it like that. Athletes don't look at throwing games. This is like you work too hard. To, perf- to perfect your craft, to go out there and, and win and try to give every effort that you possibly can. And to know, to hear that that was a possibility as a former player, Jay, what went through your mind when you heard that? That right there is, you know, difficult because like you said, no, no player goes into a game or situation trying to lose. They're trying to put their best foot forward. I don't care if they're 0-13, like, they're going and preparing the coaches too, because a lot of them are former players. They have pride and they're going into things, trying to be successful, trying to figure out what it is, what is it that I can change to actually change the outcome of what we've been experiencing. So when you do that, in my opinion, it gets real fuzzy and it gets real uh, interesting because of the new betting system, right? Like one that was always in Vegas and all that other stuff before, right? But now when it becomes nationwide, now you're telling me to lose games. It's, you can make millions and hundreds of millions if you know that I'm losing games. You know what I'm saying? Especially as a billionaire, he can play that game so crazy. So I look at it like that. Like, now you're not just trying to, you know, we used to say, all right, they're tanking for Tua. But, like, not realizing that we're saying that in a jokey way because they can't win. Not that they're, like, intentionally trying to lose. And so when you see it that way and then you, and you enter in the betting aspect of things, you say – how is this guy trying to pat his own pockets through this experience? And then that's when it's very, you know, negatively looked at. Jay Bromley, as always, we thank you for your honesty and your candor and your expertise. We'll talk down the line, my friend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Thank you, Larry, man. You enjoy it, too. All right. Thank you, sir. You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN.